You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. I want to start today by saying I love the church so much. And my message today is really centered around the beauty of, of God's house, around the beauty of the church. And I hate apology tours. I got to be honest with you. When people go around apologizing for things, I just think, how lame. When, you know, look, and I get the individual apology, but I'm, if you're looking for someone to stand on the stage and apologize on behalf of the church, that's, that's not me. Now listen, you may have had bad church experiences, but church is not bad. Church was not the author of your bad experience. Men were. Let the men do the apologizing for the individual acts that they did, but the church, the church is beautiful, the church is majestic. I can't think of uh, of an organization that has rehabilitated more humans than the Church of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk today without apology about the majesty of God's house. Now, I'm, I'm a blessed person. I was raised in the house of God from a young age. My parents took me to church. And so I have a whole lot of memories, some good, some not so good. I remember growing up in church back when they had pews. Anybody here ever went to a church with pews? Right, a lot of you. And hymn books. So we didn't have all these fancy LED screens. We had a book. And I remember at about five or six standing in a service and the old man behind me, I guess he was a little bit tired, a little bit weary, he rested his hymn book on my head (laughs) as we were singing. And even at five or six, I felt the degradation of the moment. And I was like a human music stand. And I was trying to wriggle free. And my mum's grabbing me, she's like, Leanne, stop. He's old, he's old. Just let him do it. I'm like, old and rude. Old and rude. Then seeing my mother, who had a penchant for the stage, try out for every church production, she got the lead role as Salty, the singing hymn book. The, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the humiliation was an entire mood watching my mother sing and dance in a book costume. I remember one of the other church parishioners turned to my sister and I, and they said, is that your mother? And my sister just turns back without missing a beat. No, no, I do not know who she is. I I have no idea who that woman is, that crazy woman in the book. But then I was uh, so grateful to be able to raise my own kids in the house of God. I have four children, three sons and a daughter. And my eldest son, who's now 24, I remember driving my car on the way back from church, turning around to see a little boy at two years of age singing, you've turned my morning into dancing again. You've lifted my so what? I can't stay silent. Because he thought sorrows was so what? You've lifted my so what? And so maybe that's a word for some of you today. So what? So what? You've been hurt in church before. The church is awesome and the church is magnificent. And I'm telling you, it's God's designated house, Ark of Salvation on planet Earth. 
My, my son Jordan, I remember him having a conversation with my nephew in church after a service had ended one day, and they were arguing about who had gotten saved the most. <laughs> right? It was a competition. And, and Jordan turned to my nephew Caleb and said, well, I've, I've been down the front five times, five times. Try and beat that. And Caleb turns to him and is like, well, I have been down the front seven times. I've gotten saved seven times. And Jordan just turns to him with wide eyes and goes, oh my gosh, Caleb, you are so going to heaven. You are so going to heaven. And then my second son, Ash, who graduated with a business degree, always had uh, an eye for money making. And I wondered why he would actually go out on an altar call every Sunday to get saved. I'm like, Ash, you know that it works the first time, right? Like, like you know, you, like you're written, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're all good, all good in the hood. And he just looks at me and he goes, I need Bibles. I need Bibles. Because they got given a Bible after every time they got saved. So he had like a pile high. And his little businessman, entrepreneur brain was thinking, how can I make money off these things? I know, I know. Just like his dad. I'll drink to that, eh? But I want to read to you a psalm today, and I just want to send the word of the Lord out there, and I want you to capture the beauty of this psalm. It's written by guys by the name of the Sons of Korah. And they wrote this song, and then King David, who was the best producer of the time, picked up the song and he turned it into a hit. And it's called Psalm 84, and this is how it goes. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Doesn't say visit. Doesn't even say attend. It says blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And sometimes, my friends, life is going to feel like a bit of a pilgrimage, a bit of a journey. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed ones. That's you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. Wow. Pause and think about that. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So here's a beautiful picture of what the house of God looks like. 
So today I just want to break down that psalm into three different parts and talk about what God's house really looks like and what it means for you and I. The first thing I want to bring forward today is that it's a house for everyone. The psalmist wrote, even the sparrow has found a home. And isn't that good news? And maybe you're here in church today and you feel like a bit of a sparrow. Insignificant, like you kind of snuck in. I wasn't necessarily invited and I don't really feel like I belong. So I'm going to make a little nest in the back row and I'm going to pick up everything I can. You know, I thank God that a sparrow by the name of Jürgen Matesius, who completely didn't feel like he fit in church. He was a rough and tumble, scruffy surfy that didn't own anything with a collar, (laughs) went everywhere without shoes got radically saved and found himself planted in the house of God like a sparrow. I mean, he didn't look like your average Christian. He wasn't in skinny jeans with the deep V-neck and the (laughs) tattoo on his wrist that said freedom in Hebrew. And look, I know I don't like to make fun of people unless they're hipsters. Then it it brings me great joy. I got to be honest with you. And I love you, hipsters. I love you so much, but you're just so easy to... (laughs) So he he was in church, but here's what I found. If you allow yourself to linger, even though you feel like a sparrow, God has a way of turning sparrows into eagles. So this young man who got saved at 18 on a beach who came from a German atheistic home full of alcoholism and violence completely changed the fortunes of our entire family. And the life we have today is a testament to this psalm, even the sparrow has found a home. And maybe you think today that you have to be all eagle-like to be in the house of God. I have to come in like an eagle. No, he'll take you as a sparrow. And I hope that in C3 San Diego, in this church, that the sparrows are welcome. Because this house is a house of transformation. When Jürgen and I started out in ministry, we started out in a place called Auckland, New Zealand, South Auckland to be exact. And and at this particular point in history, 1992, Manukau City, where we were stationed, was known as one of the most violent cities in the Southern Hemisphere. And about this time when we were there, the the city went through a revival. There was a lot of darkness, a lot of violence, but the Bible says, and this is the good news, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. God is not afraid of darkness. He's not afraid of mess. He's not afraid of chaos because He has a way of speaking light into the darkness and bringing about transformation. So, So our city started to go through this incredible season of revival And we had a lot of gang members coming in and getting saved. And it was interesting. It was a congregation of sparrows, a whole bunch of sparrows. (laughs) And there was one woman and uh, she came in and she sat up the back of the church. She looked like she was about 40, but we found out later that she was 20 years of age. And she she was wearing physically the trauma of her life. She was most assuredly a sparrow. And she came to our attention because two little youth, youth girls ran up to Jürgen and I and they said, Pastor Jürgen, Pastor Jürgen, there's a woman sitting in the back row and she's punching her baby. And straight away as I hear this, I'm like, oh no. 
like the mama bear rises up. I'm going to go and I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. But thank God that Jürgen got there before I did because he knows what it's like to be a sparrow in the house of God. And as he walked up to her, sure enough, he could see this woman punching her baby to try to get him to be quiet in church. And he put his hand on her shoulder and she, she looked shocked. She was like, <gasps> and it looked like she was about to run. And he said to her, no, no, don't go, stay. We can take your baby and take baby to Sunday school so you can listen to the service in peace. And so she handed over the little baby. Now, now, this baby was too young to be in Sunday school, but I love that we have a culture where we love people more than we love the rules. Any church that elevates rules above people is not representing the Father heart of God. So we took little Brett into Sunday school and the ladies there looked after him and he changed his diaper and got him some new clean clothes and just loved on him for a bit. And during the course of the service, this woman put her hand up to receive Christ. And it was the beginning of a story of transformation for her. And, you know, we heard the backstory of her life. How does a woman get to be in this place where she's being violent with her own child, where she's so broken that she tries to break other people. And we found out that she had been uh, the, the, the recipient of abuse, both physical and sexual, pretty much her entire life. She was part of a gang and was passed around from member to member. And, and even this child that she held in her arms was the result of a violent encounter of a rape. But over the process of time, because even the sparrow has found a home. We were able to love her back to life with the help of some community services and help her and show her what it likes, looks like to be a good parent, to put value on the inside of her after she'd been devalued for so long. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. You may feel like you've come into church and you're a sparrow. And you don't understand what I've done and you don't understand what I've become. Well, this is the perfect place for you because even the sparrow has found a home. And one of the most thrilling moments of my life as a young pastor was watching little Brett grow up in our church, this little boy that, that had been brought in by his very broken mother. And he used to stand on the altar with all the other little kids. We had a culture in the church where the, where the kids would stand on the altar during praise and worship and they'd, they'd have all these little toy instruments and they'd be rocking out like Mark Cullen, biting their bottom lip, <laughs> right? As the praise and worship was happening, they were just loving life. And little Brett stood and looked at my Jordan, who was a couple of years older, as Geordie was standing there with a red plastic electric guitar and looked at him like he was a god. <laughs> and Jürgen turns to me, because he knows what it's like to be a sparrow in the house of God. And he said, Leanne, I want you to go down to the warehouse, the warehouse where everyone gets a bargain. Okay, so it's like the equivalent of Walmart in New Zealand. And I want you to buy little Brett a red plastic guitar. And I remember when we gave it to him, it was like we had given him the Shroud of Turin, the Fountain of Youth, the Ark of the Covenant, and everything else that Indiana Jones tried to steal from the Germans at once. Like, oh. And the greatest thrill of my life was watching little Brett 
because even the sparrow has found a home standing on the altar, rocking out with all the rest of the kids. I'm telling you, God's house is a place where the sparrow has found a home and they can bring their young and raise them on his altars. Your legacy may have been a little bit like this woman's, but things can shift if you stay. So the devil is so crafty. He's so wicked, he'll whisper, you don't belong here. All the sons of Korah in Psalm 84 completely dispel that lie. Even the sparrow has found a home, a place to lay her young on the altar. And I love that. You know what else that tells me? Bring your kids to church. Well, my kids don't like coming to church. Um, hello, are you the parent? Are you paying the fee for that expensive little device that they're connected to 24 hours a day? Then guess what? When mum and dad go to church, they're coming too. And, you, and they're standing on that, they're sitting on the couch, I'm so tired. I had to go to school for six hours yesterday. No. You're the parent, lead. Well, we want them to make their own decisions about life. That's a terrible idea. Wow. There's a reason. God made it so a child would be raised by parents because they need them and they need good ones. And I love the, the testimony of Joshua. He said, as for me and my house. See, a lot of us may say, well, well I'll, I'll be in church while little Susie and little Johnny are at home watching MTV being raised by people that don't even know how to put their clothes on properly. But Joshua said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So he was setting up an example and, and stating the culture of how things were going to look in his house. It's Sunday, we're going to church. Oh, well, Sunday is our family day. Excellent. Family days are important. Bring your family to church. Oh, some of us use that line as an escape hatch to sleep in. Bring your family to church. Sunday may be the family day and God bless you for it, but it's also the Lord's day. And we teach our children that on Sunday, the family goes to church. How lovely is your dwelling place, the sons of Korah said. It is the house for everyone. It's the house of hope. I love Psalm 84 because it says, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now that word Baca is translated weeping or mourning. And it's a literal place in Israel where, where to get through it because it was so full of thorn bushes, it, it was much labour and much toil and you couldn't pass through it without tears. And I would love to tell you today that because you're a Christian, that you'll never go through a hard day and life will always be full of mountaintops, but it's just not true. The Bible, the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so maybe you're walking through a Baca season today, a season of mourning. And I just want to, again, dispel a myth. God's not angry with you. You're not going through a hard time because God doesn't like you. You're going through a hard time because on this side of eternity, unfortunately, hard times will be a part of life. But the Bible says when they pass through 
And again, that's another word of encouragement, another great spot to say, amen. You're going to pass through it. The valley of mourning, the valley of weeping, the valley of Barker is not the end of your story. It may be a part of your story, but it's not the end of your story. It's not your final destination unless you choose it to be. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they will make it a spring. How amazing is God that He does not even waste the worst moments of our life. God is the best recycler ever. So He says you can walk through the most devastating seasons of your life, seasons of betrayal, seasons of loss, uh, seasons of great wounding and, and bitterness and anguish. But even when you walk through those seasons, when you walk with me, and you dwell in the house of the Lord, you can trust that I am gonna, I'm going to do something so magnificent that even that season, you're going to look back and go, you know what, I found God in the midst of it. I was refreshed. And what does a spring do? A spring sustains us. It refreshes us. You're going to find God's sustenance and His refreshing even in the midst of your valley of Baca. But not only does a spring refresh us, it refreshes others. Other people, as they walk through the Valley of Baca, they're going to be refreshed by the monument and the memorial that you've built by clinging to God, even when times were tough. I thank God that when my husband and I walked through a season of many, many years of addiction with one of our children, that I came to a church that dealt in hope. A place where I could come and I could hear the Word of the Lord. You know, there's a culture out there right now, it's a culture of doubt. It's doubt. And quite honestly, when we look around at the world and some of the chaos and the problems that people face, I get it. Sometimes it does look hopeless. But I want to tell you today that when you're with God, there is always hope. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but that's not the end of the story. But the Lord will deliver us out of them all. I'm not sure what you're facing today or maybe if you're walking through that valley of mourning and weeping, but I want you to know God is with you and He's going to bring you through. Do you know what Psalm 23 tells us? That when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. Why? Because He's with us. Bette Midler sung the song, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Lies. Lies, Bette Midler. The Bible says He is a very present help in a time of trouble. God is not afraid of your mess. And I would actually have to say, you as a, say to you as a personal testimony, that I feel the presence and the comfort of God more so in the valley times than I do on the mountaintop. God is with you, you're gonna get through. I wish you didn't have to walk through the valley of Baca, but I'm telling you today, your God is gonna sustain you in the midst of it. He's not a negligent parent. You know, when I was having my third son, Tommy, who's over here to the right, I'm not gonna embarrass you, honey, don't worry. Uh, I, as the culture is in Australia, after you have a baby, they take your little baby for the first night so mummy can rest. And it's a beautiful thing. 
And this particular night, it felt like every woman within a 10 mile radius was having a baby. So that was a really busy hospital that night. So I'm trying to sleep and I can hear carts going up and down the hallway. I can hear babies crying. I can hear women screaming. I can hear the chatter of nurses. But in the midst of all that hustle and bustle, I hear a cry. I hear a cry. And straight away, my ears were alerted to the fact that that's my baby. So many other babies crying, so much more chatter and hustle and bustle, so much busyness. But in the midst of all that, I could distinguish my baby's cry. And I kind of inched my way toward the nursery. And sure enough, there was my little Tommy in his Perspex crib. And he had coughed up some blood from the delivery and he was there crying his eyes out for his mama. And I looked at those nurses with a, like the look of judgment like you have never seen. I know the Bible says judge not, but I felt like I had a little caveat from the Lord at that moment. I felt like, you know what, I'm gonna pretend that thirst is not in there because judgment is coming your way. And if looks could kill, they probably would have. And they're like, Oh, Mrs. Matesius, everything's fine. He's fine. Don't believe your lying eyes. You know, everything's okay. And I just grabbed that Perspex crib and I spun it around. I was trying to be as extra as possible to make the ultimate impact. And I pushed him out and I just turned and I said, I will be taking my baby. True for me, who's a little bit corrupted and a little bit sinful and not perfect. How much more true for your heavenly Father? The Bible says when the righteous call out, the Lord hears. He is close to the brokenhearted and He will rescue those who are crushed in spirit. This house is a house of hope. And maybe you came in here today with a hopeless diagnosis or situation. Well, it's our job to hit you in the arm with the adrenaline of hope to have you standing back on your feet again, knowing that when you walk through your valley of Baca, you are gonna turn it into a spring. You're gonna find God in the midst of your darkest hour and you, like the Psalm, are gonna go from strength to strength. Somebody say amen. amen. And finally... His house is a house that satisfies, satisfies. The sons of Korah said, better is one day in your house than a thousand days anywhere else. A thousand days in the tents of the wicked. Listen to that distinction. I'd rather hold the door. I'd rather be the usher. I would rather be the parking attendant. I would rather be the person that cleans the toilets in God's house than be invited into some of the most intimate places that the world or the wicked have to offer. I wonder if we could build a culture for the young kids that are growing up this, this up and coming generation that they don't need to touch the fire in order to know that it burns. I mean, the story of the prodigal shows us that he tasted and saw what the world had to offer and he came back to the Father's house. I love that. In my Father's house as he sits in pig slop, he'd, he'd feasted at all the, the VIP tables at Vegas and had bottle service and anything his heart desired. And after he tasted all that and it left him empty and the Bible says he sat in a pig pen and he was, 
He was eating what the pigs ate. Isn't that a story? Isn't that happening before our eyes today? The Bible says, He came to His senses and He said, In my Father's house, there is bread enough and to spare. In my Father's house, I found satisfaction. I'm praying that in our house, that we will raise a generation of Esther's and Daniel's that don't need to eat from the King's table, that don't need to eat the delicacies of a wicked world in order to realise that it doesn't satisfy. Do you know that Daniel was 16 when he was deported to Babylon? And the Bible says that the King offered him, the wicked King, all these delicacies. Oh, eat this, eat that. He's like, no, I'm gonna be good on water and vegetables. And all the eunuchs, the people that couldn't reproduce around him were freaking out. What do you mean? You, you're not gonna be healthy. But then after many days, when they came and tested those who had eaten the delicacies from the king's table and they looked at Daniel and his friends, they were found to be 10 times better. At 16, I wonder if we could lift our expectations and our even our understanding of what our teenagers are capable of. Don't let guilt steer your parenting. Well, I can't tell my kids not to have sex till they're married and not to be promiscuous because I was. Well, well, that's precisely why you need to tell them. Do, do you want them to have the same baggage you did? Do you want them to walk into their marriage with, with so many sexual encounters on their brain that it takes many years of pastoral care and deliverance to get free? Or do you wanna tell them, you know what? The house of God is a house that satisfies. Better is one day in His courts than a thousand days anywhere else. God's house is the house that satisfies. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't expect your kids to fail. Encourage them to live for God. It's the house that satisfies. Stop believing the lie that God wants to rub from you. He's the author of life. He can't give you anything that's not life-giving. John 10.10 says, it's the thief, the devil, that has come to steal, kill and destroy. But I, Jesus talking about Himself, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. King David said this, My boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. And many of us think, well, boundaries are restrictive. I want to do what I want to do. But God's boundaries are not there to rub from us. They're there to enhance our lives. Things can be better for the next generation if we don't let guilt steer our parenting and instead wish and want so much more for them. God's house is the house that satisfies. And there's always a backstory to everything in the Bible. And Psalm 84, as I said, was written by a group of men called the Sons of Korah. Now, the Sons of Korah had, had really every reason to not be as awesome as they were. See, they were descendants of a man named Korah, the original Korah. God speaks about him in the book of Numbers. And, and this particular Korah had disdain for the house of God. He was part of it. He was, he was you know, he was, he was in church, but he had a, a spirit of mockery. 
he treated casually what the Lord had called to be sacred. And I wonder today if you understand how good we got it here. I love America, but you know what? We couldn't do this in some parts of China. We couldn't do it in North Korea. Most of the Middle East, you'd be thrown in prison, maybe tortured, maybe put to death for hanging on to this. And here, here we are in America, we get to meet freely in a country that values and esteems religious freedom. Never forget how awesome we've got it. And so Korah was casual with the house of God. He didn't hold it in high esteem. He'd turn up, turn up late, he'd leave early. Moses would be doing the altar call and he'd see it as his perfect segue to walk out. Never served, didn't smile at people. Had the personality of a viper. Should not have been on the door. Should not have been an usher. And God was so mad with him. The Bible says that he opened up the earth and swallowed him alive into the pit. Let's just take a moment to thank the Lord that we were born on this side of the cross. Thank you. Because back in those days, God was angry with you. He would like the locusts, plagues. You'd wake up one day and you'd be like, oh, why am I leprous? What did you do? <laughs> it was obvious. Ah, God doesn't, God's mad at me. And on this particular occasion, God's just like, you know what? I don't have time for the locusts and the plagues and the fires. Just, just open the earth. Go, go ahead, go open the earth. Swallows him up for the sin of being casual with the church. Now this man Korah was the sons of Korah's ancestors. Interesting. They were able to redeem their family name. They looked back and they saw the example of great granddaddy and they said, we don't wanna be like that. And they found a man by the name of Obed-Edom and he became their mentor. He was their discipler. Now, Obed-Edom was a man who had incredible honour for the house of God. The Ark of the Covenant was something that he took responsibility for. He said, I'm gonna make God's house my house. And the Bible says that everything Obed-Edom did prospered. His life, his home, his children, everything was blessed and everything was increased. So I reckon that the sons of Korah looked at old granddaddy Korah who got swallowed up by God for being casual with the house. And then they looked at Obed-Edom whose life was incredibly, undeniably blessed because of the fact that he revered God's house and they said, we wanna be like him. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. How lovely. I never want us to lose the awe and reverence of what it means to be part of God's church. That's why I will not go on an apology tour. There is no house like God's house. God's house is a life house. God's house is a place where even the sparrow has found a home. God's house is a house of hope where you can be walking through the worst season of your life, walking through the valley of Baca and through God, it will be turned into a spring. And God's house is the house that satisfies. No good thing, no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I wonder what good thing you need to believe God for today as you've made His house your house. 
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 